Well, with the advent of spring comes all kinds of new life. If you haven't already, uh, I imagine except for tomorrow night or tonight, I think it is supposed to get one last little hurrah of a snowstorm coming through. So except for that little blip on the radar, you, you need to get out and just enjoy this weather if you haven't already. My guess is we all have found that time where you're hitting the parks, the motorcycles are out, and there's just something about spring that just brings this sense of new life. It, shortly, we, we'll begin to see the flowers starting to bloom, uh, the ones that, that, that hit the season right off the bat. We'll see the buds on, on the trees begin to, to come out as the leaves are beginning to grow. We'll just see all these signs of life happening. We emerge from our warm houses and we, uh, out into the yard and be able to stand under the warmth of the sun. We get to meet our neighbors anew. Hey, stranger, haven't seen you in four months, you know, and, and you get to restart those conversations and those relationships, which is always a blessing. It can be so refreshing and life-giving. And, and while this can lead to a, a pleasant day, uh, a pleasant event out with the family, uh, a pleasant week even, a, as you just kind of shed off those coats and, uh, you know, 60 degrees in, in the spring is like we're taking off all of our layers where 60 degrees in the fall, we're, we're freezing, right? We're putting them all back on. Um, but we're, we're just enjoying it. Um, but the, the issue here is it doesn't always resolve the issues of life, right? It, it can lead to a pleasant day. It can lead to, to good experiences and good memories, but that doesn't mean that just because spring is coming, just because there's a new life in the air, doesn't mean it's going to resolve some of our bigger issues in life, right? Because there, there are big questions to deal with, and, and maybe you've dealt with them, maybe you haven't, um, but there's questions like, that there's so many different beliefs in this world, how do I know which one is true? Why are we here? What is the point and the purpose in life? If there's a God, can we really know him? How can we get to know him if he seems so far away and unreachable? What is the way to eternal life? Is there life after this physical world? That there seems to be more. We seem to be more than just flesh and bone, but there seems to be a spiritual component to us as well. What does that mean? See, not having answers to questions like these can oftentimes leave our hearts in a place of, of trouble or of worry. And so I'd ask you this morning to be thinking about what causes your heart to be troubled. Did, did one of those questions hit home with you? Or is there another one that's on your heart about questions uh, we'd ask about life? Does it leave you troubled? What keeps you awake at night due to worry? You go through your day, you take care of everything you need to take care of for the day, and yet there's still something that weighs heavy on your heart and keeps you awake as you ponder these questions of life. What keeps you distracted during the day as a result of the anxiety of not having answers to some of these questions? Whatever that is, I want to give you hope here this morning. I want to see if we can answer what those questions about life are that you may have. And while it may sound cliche, and it is, I understand that, especially if you grew up in a church setting, you probably heard of the phrase, Sunday school answers, is, oh, it's Jesus. Any question someone asks, you'd say, well, it's Jesus. Well, the answer to life's questions is Jesus. Yes, it's cliche. I, I get that. But stick with me here as we unpack this. This is easier than always guess C. Because, you know, you got some decent odds if you always guess C on a multiple choice. But in the questions of life that we're asking, we should always go to the person of Jesus. And, and this is why. John fourteen six. 
And this is going to be the, the heart of what we're talking about here this morning. So if, if you came in this morning and you're tired and, and you're fighting to stay awake, give me two more minutes. And then, then you can kind of, you know, lean on your neighbor and, and, and pass out for a little bit. They can nudge you for the last song. But um, John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, him is one of his disciples who just asked him a question. He said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, I, I am the way to God. I am the way to paradise in eternity. I am the way that we live in life. Jesus says, I, I am the truth. My words aren't just true, but I am truth itself. I am the embodiment of what is true. And he says, I am the life. There's purpose and direction in life found in me. This is the sixth uh, of seven I am statements in the book of John that we're looking at in our series, Jesus Is, uh, where we look at each of these statements and we see, one, how Jesus is identifying himself as God. And the simplest way in there is this use of the I am. He's connecting back in with his audience, would have been familiar with the story where Moses is standing before the burning bush and God is speaking through this burning bush and he's sending Moses off to go and do a task for him to free his people. And Moses says, well, what will I say your name is? And God says, I am. I am. I am. I always will be. I am and I always have been. I don't rely on anything else. I am independent of all things. I am. And so when Jesus is making these I am statements, he's tying back into there. If you're like, ah, I think that's a stretch, Steve. Uh, and some of these statements, when he makes them, depending on who his audience is, sometimes they, they pick up stones to stone him, to kill him by hitting him repeatedly with, with stones because they see him as blasphemous. Because they're seeing him saying, I am God, by using the language that he's using. Well, and they say, you're just a man. You can't be God. And so they want to kill him. But in those circumstances he escapes and and it's it is okay for him to see say that because as we're going to see he is god and he does back up these statements so each statement jesus identifies as god and he also reveals some of the characteristics of, of who he is and see it's our desire here this morning that we could respond to the reality of who jesus is as we live our daily lives it's my hope and prayer for us that we could come to know jesus more see him a little bit clearer and then respond by the way we live our daily lives. Because if Jesus is God, then what he says matters. And if he is God, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, that carries some weight behind it. If he is Lord, then we should respond in worshiping him. Or maybe we think he's just crazy. There's another person out there claiming to be God. In which case, if, if that's truly what we believe and we, what we find to be true as we investigate who Jesus is, then we can disregard all this. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's, he's responding to one of his disciples' questions. Thomas had asked him, in essence, a question along the lines of, how do I get to the Father in heaven? How do I get to be with the Father God? This was a question that was weighing on his heart. and um, As if there weren't already these questions going on in his life, it was about to get a little more challenging. See, the text this morning, John 14, comes shortly before Jesus goes to the cross. 
And that, that's where we are in the story of the life of Jesus. If you're familiar with the, the life of Jesus, you know that he was born and, and then he grew you know, into a young man who then began his public ministry after calling his disciples to himself and for about three years uh, had public ministry where he's going out and doing all kinds of different things. And then that ended with him going to the cross and laying down his life on the cross. And, and then on the third day, he rose again. And that's what we're celebrating here uh, coming up with Good Friday and Easter is, is his death and then his resurrection as he defeated death and overcame it and so where we are in that timeline where we are in that story is towards the end of his public ministry just before he's going to go to the cross and the disciples don't know this they don't realize this actually uh, the week started pretty awesome it's kind of like hey the weather's beautiful out but we got snow coming at the end of the week it kind of tapers off like that the week started awesome it started with what uh, is referred to as the triumphal entry where Jesus enters into Jerusalem and there's all kinds of prophecy that's fulfilled about him being the Messiah, the one that the Jewish people were waiting for to be their Savior because of how he entered in. He came in riding in on a donkey. And people were, were cutting off palm branches and laying their coats down and creating a path for him to enter, enter into Jerusalem, this holy city. They're shouting, Hosanna. They're basically saying, you, you are ki- the king. You are the king. Yeah, that's got to be quite a difference from going from sometimes where they're getting chased out because they want to stone Jesus. And here he's being welcomed in and praised for who he is. And it's okay, this is, we're doing okay. On top of that, we also see in Scripture that some of the people who were there when Lazarus was raised from the dead are now here as well. And guess what? They're talking about it. Hey, I know that guy. Guess what he can do? You know? Hey, go get Uncle Chuck. Dig him up. Hey, this guy can bring him up, you know? And as they're talking about, this is, this is someone who has the power to raise someone from the dead. You got, you got to meet him. You got, this is the Messiah. And so there's an excitement. There's an energy around what is going on. He, he's moving to the place where they celebrate the Passover. This is a key time in the life of the Jewish people. The 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 people where Jesus' story takes place. When they celebrate Passover, what they're celebrating is what happened in their history. At one point, their people were enslaved in Egypt. Basically, uh, they had good relationships with with, with the leaders in Egypt, and their people grew and flourished as God uh, was good to them. And all of a sudden, you'd get a new pharaoh, a new leader, who would say, hey, on, you got a lot of people. You guys are becoming a powerhouse. We've we got to keep you in check. And so they enslaved the Jewish people. And so now they've been in slavery for hundreds of years. And finally, God uses Moses to, to free his people. And through the plagues, he continues to show his power and his might over the gods of Egypt. And all of a sudden, it comes to a place where God's wrath was poured out in Egypt. We have the, the final plague. Angel of death came and, and took the life of the firstborn of any in all homes. But we also see God's grace that is poured out and received by his people, where if they had taken a sacrificial lamb and, and slaughtered that lamb, taken the blood of that lamb, and put it on their doorposts, it was a sign to the angel of death to say, pass over this house. Don't take the life of any of the firstborns uh, from this home. And so it was a, a day of rejoicing because not only were the lives of their firstborn spared in, in this night where death came through Egypt, but then because of this, uh, Pharaoh's like, get out, go, be done. I'm done with this. 
to the point where he even saw the power of God, and they sent them off with the spoils of war, even though God had been the one to fight their battle. And so they're not just being released from slavery, but they're being sent out with the spoils of a war that God fought. And they're, they're experiencing God's grace. And, and this is what they're coming to celebrate every year at Passover. And, and this is the meal they're celebrating with Jesus, this Last Supper, as it's become known. But the mood begins to change a little bit this time around. It begins to change just a bit. All of a sudden, Jesus does something unexpected where he washes the feet of his disciples. Well, no, Jesus, you don't wash my feet. If anything, I should wash your feet. But he's trying to make an illustration to say, I've come to serve, and I'm calling you to do the same. And then Jesus is sharing all kinds of different things. He foretells Judas's betrayal. Basically says, hey, one of you is going to betray me, and then he points it out, hey, this is Judas. And Judas kind of pulls one of those awkward moments of, no, not, not me, Jesus. Look at the time, i got to go. And he runs out and betrays Jesus. And after he leaves, there's some other things that take place, and Jesus predicts Peter's denial. I mean, Peter's the one, he's the outspoken one. Hey, this is Jesus, I love him, I'm following him, he is the man, you got to get to know him. Peter, you're going to deny me. I'm not going to deny you. I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. What are you talking about? I'm not going to deny you. And so the mood's changing as, as Jesus is talking about, I'll be betrayed by Judas and denied by Peter. And this takes us to John chapter 14 where we find our text here for this morning. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up John chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 1. Um, feel free to go digital. There's Wi-Fi in the building just for that purpose. Feel free to grab one of the Bibles in the seats and make it your own. We're going to be in John 14. It's on the screen as well. 1 through 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you will know the way to where I'm going. And now here we get the question that brought about Jesus' response. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip, one of the other disciples, said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Say, hey, that's all I want to see. Just show us the Father. Let us see the Father God. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. See, Jesus knew what was going to take place. He, he knew he was going to the cross. He knew what was going to happen to the disciples. I, I, I believe it. In this passage, Jesus is not only answering Thomas's and Philip's questions on life, on, on well, how do we get to the Father? He's also preparing them for what's to come. Look, look at that very first verse. Let not your hearts be troubled. Can you imagine 
being in his shoes, knowing what's coming, knowing what they're going to experience. Because they've gone through difficult times before, but they've always had Jesus right there physically with them. This is going to be one of the first times where their faith is significantly tested, where the physical presence of Jesus will not be right there for them. And Jesus knows this is going to, this is going to rock their world. It's going to shake them at the very core of who they are. He says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. I believe that is God's heart for us here this morning as well. As we ponder questions of life, as we think about uh, the, the, the difficult questions, what is life about? What is the purpose of it? What should I be doing? What's my direction? How, how can I be with God in heaven? How can I know him? God doesn't want our hearts to be troubled. But his response to that is one of Jesus. Believe in God. We see that in verse 1. Let not your hearts be trouble, troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And as we unpack that verse, we see, he's, again, he's making the claim, I and the Father are one. Jesus, Jesus is aligning himself as God. And then we jump to verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Troubling times are coming. You're going to be shaken. And your response, your way to, to, to shore up your foundations, your way to be sure of what is true, is believe in me. Believe in me. The things I've said, the things I've done, where I've led you and where I've directed you to go. Believe in me. I and the Father are one. Believe in me, Jesus says. And that is my cry for us here this morning as well. Because we see the heart of Jesus. He doesn't want their hearts to be troubled. He wants them to be strengthened through belief in him. And even that the tag at the end of verse 11, well, if not for me, not in me, at least look at the things that, that I've done. And examine those, because those reveal, again, his character of who he is, the fact that he is deity, that he is God. So despite all that Jesus had told the disciples, we could go through a bunch of different times where he kind of fore, uh, forecasted what was going to happen, foretold the events of the cross, sometimes figuratively, sometimes a little more clearly, yet they didn't see it coming. And so when the cross happened, when Jesus went to the cross and gave up his life as a payment for our sins, the sins of those who trusted him for forgiveness. The hearts of the disciples, I believe, were greatly troubled. When Jesus died, the disciples, I believe, were struggling with their way. We see this when Jesus was arrested, they were scattered. We see this in Peter's story, who one moment at the Lord's Supper is saying, God, I'll die for you. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is arrested. He hasn't even died yet. He's just arrested and in prison and going to all these false trials, and all of a sudden, a, a little slave girl comes up and says, hey, I recognize you. You were that Jesus guy. Nope, nope, not me. And three times, he denies the Lord who he said he would die for. Because they're losing their way as the cross unfolds. See, they had expected an economic or a military salvation. They expected Jesus to come and, and rule and reign in their present time in their present situation they were under the authority of the romans we need to recall that and so they were hoping that okay jesus is going to come and he's going to set up his kingdom and so our way of following jesus jesus is going to lead to a freedom from the romans but but now he's in prison let's go to the cross but now he's dead i imagine they're asking questions like how are we going to be saved from our current situation because they saw him as the Messiah, the Savior, the one who would save the Jewish people. And now he's dead. 
I think we can ask a similar question of how can we be saved from our current situations? Where we're feeling lost, where we're feeling like we don't know which way is up. Whatever that is for you, if that's what you're feeling this morning, I think we can connect with the disciples a little bit and relate to where they may have been at when Jesus had gone to the cross. When Jesus died, the disciples likely questioned what they thought to be true. They've been waiting for a Messiah. They believe they found him in Jesus. They thought Jesus was going to establish the kingdom on earth. They believed Jesus had power over this world, over the wind, over the storm, even death. And now they must be wondering, were we wrong? Do we miss something? But you know, think about the things we saw him do. He's got to be true. Well, but, but he's dead now. What, what does that mean? And I imagine they had moments of wondering, are the words of Jesus true, trustworthy, and reliable? Maybe you've been in that place yourself where you were faced with a decision in life and, and something just kind of uh, inside you led you to God's words. Okay, you know what, I'm going to see what God has to say about this. And, and then you see, uh, maybe it's an, an issue of forgiveness. And you see God's word leading us to a place of forgiving others, even our enemies, and showing them love. Is that, is that really true? Is that really going to bring about my good? Is that really going to be for uh, God's glory? Maybe you can relate to where the disciples may have been asking these questions of, is Jesus really true, trustworthy, reliable? See, I imagine when Jesus died on the cross, the disciples were lost in what to do with their lives. And the reason I believe that is because we look at what they did afterwards. In one case, where Jesus is coming to some of the disciples, he finds them fishing. Now, you could just say that's something they enjoyed doing, and it was a hobby. I think as we unpack the stories, we, we look through what happened in those days um, after the cross, I think it reveals they went back to what they knew. Okay, well, we've been following him for three years, and we thought he was setting up this kingdom, and we thought it was going to be this, and we thought that, and, but now he's dead, and what, what should we do? Well, let's go fishing. Well, let's see if we can start a business up again. So I, think, I think they were lost. Is this over? Do we, do we miss something? I think sometimes we can be in that place as well of asking, what, what, what am I doing? What's my direction in life? What's, what's the point of this all? Then we connect with the disciples in that same way. If you feel in any of those connections, I want to give you hope here. I want to bring you to a place of hope. If you're struggling with, with doubt, with questions uh, about life, with a troubled heart, because we see is the disciples eventually brought, came to a place where they moved from a troubled heart to belief in Jesus. And it was because the story doesn't end at the death of Jesus, where he surrenders his life, but it continues where on the third day he rose again. That's what we're going to be celebrating on our Easter Sunday. I, I encourage you, I invite you to come out to our Good Friday, but if you come out to Good Friday, make sure you've cleared your Sunday calendar and come out to Sunday as well, because the story doesn't end with the death of Jesus, but it's then he, he defeats death, overcomes it, and rises from the grave. The, the disciples witnessed the risen Jesus, and they saw that he was the way, the truth, and the life. They saw that he was God. And so then they lived their lives accordingly. Their hearts were no longer troubled, but they believed in him because of what they witnessed. Now, while we didn't witness it ourselves, we can witness the witnesses. We can witness their account. We can witness their stories. We can read them and, and ask questions. Would they lie? Would they have a reason to lie? 
How can we trust this? And I'll unpack that, and as we do, I'm, I'm confident we will come to this place of seeing, yeah, we believe the same thing they do. We, we, we see Jesus as Lord, as God. If you're struggling with, with questions of doubt, if you're struggling with uh, a troubled heart, the hope is found in Jesus. I'd encourage you to seek answers in him and who he is and what he's done. We see that in John 14, 11, that the last verse we looked at, the last half of it says, or else believe on account of the works themselves. If you're having a hard time believing in Jesus, Jesus, look at what he's done. The accounts of the works that he's done. And you'll see in there that he does things that only God can do. That he had the ability to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he also was raised up from the dead because he is the way. He is the truth, and he is the life. So because Jesus is the way, we can know that there is a place for us in God's house. We see this in John 14, too. My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? When we trust in Jesus. We believe in him. We say, Jesus, you are God, and I believe in you. There is a place for us in God's house. There's a place for us in God's house. You are loved and you are welcome in God's presence. See, if you think about it, no matter what you do, you always have your home. You have your bedroom even to go back to. And, um, you know, moms with young kids, I'm sure you can relate to this, where you're always looking for that place of rest and freedom. And you'd say, okay, you can go lock yourself in the bathroom, but then you see those little fingers poking under trying to get your attention. So I'm not sure if you've been able to find what that is because uh, when you have kids, they kind of uh, invade that, that rest of, of, of the bedroom uh, that you get where you can kind of just shut out the rest of the world. But we all have a place in the home where we can have that rest and that security. We can have that in Jesus, where nothing can separate us from God when we are in Jesus. Because Jesus is the way, he makes it possible for us to enter into God's house. That second half there, 14.2, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now maybe you could ask, well, why does Jesus need to prepare a place? I mean, is it like, is God the Father kind of a slob and he kind of like leaves, you know, pizza boxes all over the place and hey, okay, before you get there, Give me five minutes, okay? I just got to go in, spruce up a little, Febreze the place, and then, you know, heaven smells like Febreze. Um, no, that's not what's going on. We got to remember that he's saying this before he's gone to the cross, right? And so the price for sin has not yet been paid. The price for sin has not yet been, been paid. And so what, what he's basically saying is, I got to go to the cross first. I'm going to give up my life as a ransom for yours. Because as we look through scriptures, we see the payment, uh, the penalty, what we've earned, a wage for our sin, going against the word of God is death, separation from God. Both will experience a physical death at some point and a spiritual death, a separation from God if we leave our sin undealt with. And that would keep us from our home with God. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to go take care of that. I'm going to prepare the way. I am the way. I'm going to make a way for you to go be with the Father. So I need to go and prepare the home, prepare that place. Sin was still undealt with. He was talking about the, the cross where he paid the price for our sins. And then we see John 14, 3, because Jesus is the way, he will come back and be reunited with us. And if I go prepare a place for you, going to the cross he's talking about, I will come again. Again, it's not the end of the story. I'm, I'm going to rise up, I'm going to come again, and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And so you might be pausing and saying, well, hang on, Steve. 
Jesus rose, but then he went to heaven, right? He ascended into heaven, and, and then there's, he promised he'll come back again and for fi- final judgment where you know, th- those who are still alive in Christ will, will be taken up with him, and those who have died already will, will be risen up and, and, and will kind of final days of standing before God. And, and basically, did, did you know Jesus? Did you trust in him as, as Lord and Savior? And yes, that, 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 that's true. Um, but what we can see in this is a heart that God is with us. He says, I, I will come again and will take you to myself. I, I love this shift of the focus, right? He goes from the focus of, of, of heaven, a home with God, goes from a place of, of a place to a person. You'll be with me. I will take you to myself. Where I'll be, you'll be with me also. Here's Jesus. Here's you. Here's, there's Jesus. There's you. You'll be with me. I'll take you to myself. He will come back and reunite us. See, the focus is on the per- person of Jesus. As we keep reading through John chapter 14, some of the passages we didn't get to in about 17, 18, we, we get to this place where we see that um, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Basically, I, I, I'm going up to heaven be with the Father for a bit, but the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, will be with you. You will not be alone. And so as we begin to unpack this, he says, okay, I and the Father are one. I'm sending the Holy Spirit who is God. We see that God is with us now, even though Jesus promises, okay, I'll, I'll come again. I'll be reunited. Okay, well, that's great that, okay, at the end of my days will, will be good, Jesus, but what about now? What, what about now? I got issues going on right now that I don't know what to deal with. Jesus is with us now. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. So because Jesus is the way, there's a place for us in God's house. He makes it possible for us to enter into God's house and he will come back to be reunited with us. A brief, quick little tangent, we can also see that we don't need to worry about our our eternity. We don't need to worry about our eternity because Jesus is the way. When we trust in him, our eternity is secure in him. Honestly, we don't need to worry at all. He really builds off of a previous teaching that he'd already shared. In Matthew 6, Jesus is, this is what's referred to as a Sermon on the Mount. He's kind of given this, this massive sermon, hitting all kinds of different things. And in Matthew 6, 31, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, basically those who weren't Jewish, uh, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Does it sound familiar? Don't, don't worry about all these things. First, seek God. So it's just like John 14, 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in Jesus. And so while, yes, it is cliche, the answer is Jesus. What is the purpose of life? Jesus. How do we get to be with the Father? Jesus. Is there forgiveness from sin? Yes, in Jesus. See, ultimately what we're talking about is a shift in focus again. When we worry, when we're troubled in our heart, we're in a place of self-reliance. If you think about it, it makes sense. When we worry, we're in a thought process of self-reliance. I need to make sure I take care of this, or I accomplish that, or I do this. We need to shift to a place where there's reliance on Jesus. We turn our focus to God. We begin to see how truly we have all that we need in Him. We're freed from worry and troubled hearts. See, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would also say a lot of times, you've heard it said this, but I say, he would expand on it. He said, well, how can he do that? Well, because not only he is the way, he is the truth. He is the truth. Truth is not relative to us. I can't just say, well, this is just true for me. Well, I, I believe the sky is purple. 
That's just, that's just truth for me. That's, that's what I believe to be true. Well, as silly as that sounds is how silly it sounds when we apply that to other aspects of our lives. But truth is relative to one person, to the person of Jesus, because he is truth. So when he says, hey, you've heard it said, but I say this, our ears should perk up a little bit. We should submit all that we hold to be true before Jesus. Just think about that. What are the things that you hold to be true? If Jesus came and said, hey, just so you know, you got that wrong, here's what really happened. Would we stand on the convictions that we had that led us to that point? Or would we say, okay, Jesus, you're, you're truth. I'll change. In that situation, well, that, that seems easy. If Jesus came and said, hey, Steve, you're wrong, here's the right answer. Okay, yeah, I, I changed, no problem. Yet we do that all the time as, as we're learning more about who God is, as we're, we're unpacking that in his word, and God reveals something about himself and says, hey, this is how I've called you to live. Oh, yeah, I know, but th- this is how I'm going to live. This is what I say is true. No, but this is what truth is. And so we see the truth of God, yet we don't allow it to, to invade our lives in every way. So we need to submit all that we acknowledge as true before Jesus because he is the truth. And finally, he is the life. Because Jesus is the life, we should seek him in all things. And this, this again, I understand that some of this may, may sound a little cliche, and, and I'm really trying to fight through that, and I would encourage you to as well. But whatever is on your heart, whatever is moving you to a place of a troubled heart to worry, seek Jesus in that. If you're not sure what to do in your marriage, seek Jesus. If you're not sure what to do that, start in, in, the, in the Bible. Go online and, and do a Google search that can help you find some places. Come see me, and, and let's talk about some verses that would speak to what you're troubled with. Find a Christian, ooh, sorry. Find a Christian uh, friend or, or, or you know, brother or sister who, who can uh, walk you through what God's Word says about where your struggles are. If you're struggling with parenting, you're just you're overwhelmed. If you're struggling with your parents, whether you're a youth and your parents are just driving you nuts or you're a grown adult and your parents are driving you nuts, it doesn't change. Uh, go to God's Word. It, if you don't know how, how, how to handle a situation at work, at school, at home, on the playground, in the car as you're driving, seek God's Word. If you're insecure about who you are, If someone is lying to you and that person is you about your value and your worth, go to God's word and see what it says about you and see who God says you are in Jesus. Because Jesus is the life, we need to seek him in all things and we're so slow to do that sometimes. Because he is the life, we should follow him in his his example. He washed the disciples' feet. He says, do as I've done for you. He gives another new commandment we see in John 13 uh, to love one another. So if we're acknowledging Jesus as life, I think our purpose is to live for him. And if you're not sure what that looks like, there's a question that's been, been weighing on my heart. It, just, it really helps bring clarity to this. It is when, when you come across a situation and you're not sure what to do, you're not sure uh, uh, how to live in a way that would glorify God, ask, the, ask this question. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? Jesus loves me and laid his life down for me, and so I am free. I don't have to worry. I don't have to have a troubled heart because my security is in Jesus. My eternity is secure. Uh, I can seek how to live in this life in Jesus. But in this situation, I'm not sure what to do. What does love require? You've been loved, and then God calls you to go and love others. What does that require you to do?
as we struggle with our own questions of life, it's my prayer that we can be encouraged and strengthened in our faith from John chapter 14, that we believe in Jesus and have life, because that's actually John's heart in even sharing this gospel. John 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And that is my prayer for us all this morning, that we would believe that Jesus is God, and that we'd have life in his name. So the question I want to leave you with this morning is, who do you believe Jesus to be? This is the question we've been asking all series. But I'm going to ask you to take another step on that. You can decide how you want to do it. I want you to answer that question in your head right now. And at some point, whether you turn to your neighbor, even while I'm still preaching, and answer that question, whether you write it down and share it with someone else afterwards, whether you text someone right now and said, hey, sitting in a sermon, pastor told me to share who I believe Jesus to be with someone, guess who? You're the person I get to share with. Tell someone. Share with someone. Verbalize the answer to this question. Who do you believe Jesus to be? If today's the first time you say, I believe him to be God. And I believe salvation is found in him. That the forgiveness of my sins is found in Jesus. That Welcome to the family. There's nothing special you need to do beyond uh, acknowledging that we are, we are sinful people and trusting in Jesus for forgiveness. It can be done through a simple prayer where you say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I acknowledge that you are God and I believe in you. And, and it begins a relationship with him. And it's not just a moment of, of forgiveness, but again, the heart is that you would have life in Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is all stuff you've already heard before. I pray that you are encouraged and emboldened to go share it with someone else. When you find the way of life, what's the first thing you think you would do? Turn and tell someone else. Hey, found the way out. Hey, you know that sin and garbage that, that, that weighs us down, that, that, that destroys life? Hey, I found the way. It's true, and there's life in it. And that person is Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God, and we just thank you for who you are and as we wrestle with this sixth I am statement where, where you say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Father. Help us to move beyond the cliche of Jesus is the answer and truly engage in the questions of our heart. Father, it's my prayer that we would move from a place of worry and anxiety and troubled hearts to a place of firm foundation in Jesus, that we would know our eternity is secure because we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior that we would know our, our lives have purpose and meaning as we ask the question, what does love require? We just thank you for who you are, Jesus. We thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that we can go to the Father through you. Pray us all in your name. Amen.